welcome to an interview special of the Sports Council Podcast. I am your host, Matt, and I will be interviewing a very special guest here on the show. Our guest today is Brian, a recent alumni from the University of Southern California and an expert in all things Trojans. We'll pick his mind on the recent USC move to the Big Ten, as well as his thoughts on former Trojans Drake London and Drake Jackson's chances in the NFL. Finally, he helps us preview this upcoming college football season. Today is July 16th, 2022, and this is the 66th episode of the show. All right. This is a very special episode of the Sports Council Podcast. We have our first interview, I think, ever, and I am honored to be joined by a very close friend of mine. He is a USC Trojan, and he is a longtime Bay Area sports fan. That's how I knew him. And then, you know, he went to USC and got a lot of knowledge there. And I think you guys know him from the Sleeper League, if you guys have been listening ever since our fantasy football coverage he is, um, of course, USC Stan, um, or Ram Ranch, or whatever like that. It's Bryant. So, yeah, how are you doing today, Bryant? I'm doing great, Matt. <laughs> great. Thanks for having me on the show here. I didn't realize I was the first person you guys ever like interviewed on the show. Yeah, it's a very special honor. You're you're going to be in Sports Council history now forever, <laughs> other than being USC Stan. Yeah, it's <laughs> great. I'm enshrining the lore of the podcast. Exactly, exactly. That's what we love to hear. And, you know, I think you have something that none of us have here on Sports Council, which is the fact that you actually had a college football team. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I know a lot of, sorry, yeah, I know a lot of you guys are at, yeah, I don't think, uh, yeah, I don't think Santa Cruz was the one. <laughs> nope, nope. We had a, we had a very like parody kind of football team. I think like, like, oh, it was like a joke or something like that. But Whenever we refer to like a group as a joke, it's like the UCSC college football team. But, you know, I, I know you were very close, honestly. I think you saw all the games, right, as well for USC. So you're a big, very big football fan there. Yeah, for sure. So in my time at USC, I was in the USC's marching band, the Spirit of Troy. So I played the trumpet there. So I was at every single USC home game from, uh, I guess, the 2017 season up until 2020 because unfortunately COVID shut down that season. So I got to see a lot of USC football, both in the Coliseum and also go to away games like in the Bay Area versus Cal and Stanford, also all the way to Chicago playing against Notre Dame over there. So I've been around to see a good amount of college football and yep, love to share some insights on all the big news that's been going on in that world. It's amazing to hear. And, you know, that's, an experience that I feel like I would never be now I can never have but I would have loved to have it myself you, you for <laughs> sure would have loved it you I don't yeah. yeah you love football like more than anyone else I know honestly and then if you were at like a Michigan or an Ohio State or something you would have had an absolute blast I'm sure yeah sadly it was not meant to be but what is kind of your favorite part about college football like what did your, what was your kind of favorite experience that you had while you were in college and you were like tailgating and stuff like that? Yeah, definitely the whole tailgating experience. Um, since I was in the band, my Saturdays were always very busy in preparation. Like we'd be waking up at like, you know, 5, 6 a.m. sometimes uh, for rehearsals for the game. But if you're it was a, if it was a home game on campus, you could see the whole 
campus kind of wake up for game day. You could you would slowly see, you know, fans come onto the campus and set up like tents, set up barbecues, and just generally like tailgating. All the things for tailgating, you would see that set up. And depending on when kickoff was, say it's in the evening, the entire afternoon would just be an absolute blast. You know, everyone's out on the big lawn partying, playing games, or people would have TVs hooked up looking at other college football games throughout the country. And then it's when it's time for the game to start. The band comes in. Everyone, uh, everyone's cheering. The, the, the well, <laughs> I bring up cheering. That hasn't happened, unfortunately, at USC in a while. I feel <laughs> like my freshman. In terms of, not to, of course, I'm the. I love USC. It was an absolute amazing experience to see all the sports teams there, besides football, so basketball as well. But you got to say since um. The, my time there overlapped with the end of the Clay Helton era, which understandably <laughs> some people, uh, he, I mean, he was a very nice coach, but, you know, he just wasn't where, he didn't bring us where what was expected of USC. And that was probably why, you know, the attendance and enthusiasm for USC football games definitely seemed to decrease over time um, as the team just you know, just wasn't competing at the level that was expected of it. Because, you know, USC had those string of championship runs in the early 2000s, and that was the standard. You know, USC is a blue blood program. This is what the fans expect year in and year out. But that just wasn't happening. It was in the last couple of years, but was this most recent monumental moves, really, the hiring of Lincoln Riley, the moving of USC and UCLA to the Big Ten in the next couple of years, you know, um, that's gonna have massive ramifications for the program. I think ultimately the fans will be a lot will be hopefully you know better off with all these changes coming in. Yep, and I've heard many of rant from you about Clay Helton um, <laughs> <laughs> privately, of course. But yes, so we'll definitely get to that and kind of your thoughts on Lincoln Riley's move. But let's talk about the f- most recent move that USC has made because you know I feel like USC has been in the off season a lot a lot more than they usually have. And just about a couple of weeks ago, USC and UCLA, they shocked the college football world and kind of shifted the entire dynamic because they decided to move to the Big Ten. Um, you know, mm-hmm. they have been in the Pac-12 conference since the 1920s. And all of a sudden, these two Southern California teams, they're moving to the Midwest, apparently. Obviously not physically, of course, but they will be playing kind of competitively with teams like Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, and um, Wisconsin. So, you know, I'm not the best when it comes to college football, admittedly. So I didn't really understand the move itself. And it kind of, you know, obviously doesn't make sense geographically. So I was getting a little confused about that. I always thought the conferences were like based on geography, of course, because they're literally named like Pacific, you know, and the... uh, well, Big Ten is not anything, but ACC is like Atlantic Coastal Conference, right? So could you explain to me a little bit about the move? Why did they do this? Exactly there. I think you mentioned that, you know, that physical move, right? These are Los Angeles era, Los Angeles area schools, you know, USC, UCLA. And why in the world are they now playing in the Big Ten? The bottom line is it's, it was always about the money, that's definitely the biggest reason. And a lot of that ties down to an infamous man in Pac-12 history by the name of Larry Scott. I don't know if you've mm. heard, but that name, um, he is hated among many Pac-12 schools. <laughs> His name was thrown around a lot. Larry Scott ruining the Pac-12. 
And how that kind of worked, honestly, and I'm not the biggest expert on the exact details of that move, a lot of it tied to Larry Scott once he started as the Pac-12, or he's the Pac-12 commissioner, basically, um, for the previous decade or so. Uh, he has since moved on from the Pac-12, but he signed mm-hmm. a couple big media deals with ESPN and Fox for like a 12-year program, and that kind of tied the entire Pac-12 to whatever ESPN and Fox decided. And that led to a lot of those late-night Pac-12 games, right? Kickoffs at like (laughs) 6, 7 p.m., the infamous Pac-12 after dark where anything and everything could go wrong there. That's where it kind of started. And that just kind of left the slot where a lot of, you know, viewers across the country outside of the West Coast just never caught any Pac-12 football and they had no idea, you know, what's going on on with West Coast football. So that drove down viewership numbers. And the other big factor in all of this was the creation of the Pac-12 network. And that was Larry Scott's brainchild. And his idea was that it, this network would be independent from the big deal, from the big media companies like ESPN and Fox. And Pac-12, of course, would show all the great sports from the Pac-12 schools. But the problem was no one watches the Pac-12 network it got no viewership (laughs) it got like 10 million viewers and then like meanwhile your big 10 SEC schools get like three four times that amount and so what all that means is that Pac-12 schools weren't getting any weren't generating nearly as as nearly enough uh, revenue as their competitors and the other big conferences were so that was impacting things like recruiting um, and the other sports besides football, like you know, basketball and the Olympic sports, as they call it, they weren't getting enough money either. So upon seeing all of this, USC, UCLA think it's a sinking ship, and they're moving to the Big Ten, where the Big Ten has a very strong um, media deal there. They know they're going to be making tens of millions of dollars more in the other conference versus the Pac-12. Uh, the comp- level of competition is also going to be a lot higher. <laughs> we can talk about that later on, the ramifications of that. But uh, mm-hmm. those are going to be very interesting. You know, blue blood matchups. You're going to have Michigan, uh, Ohio State, USC, maybe even Notre Dame if they hop onto the bandwagon too. You know, it's going to be a very competitive conference, and it's going to be basically the Big Ten slash the LA schools' response to the rise of the SEC, right? Because the SEC. The Southeastern Conference, which contains the likes of Alabama, Georgia, which have been dominating the uh, Pac-12, or not the Pac-12, the college football landscape. Um, Mm. They're going to be, that's their response to it, having these other schools there and just basically getting a lot higher viewership numbers to compete with the very popular um, Southern schools there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, I've, heard of the Pac-12 after dark obviously and I think that honestly affects the legitimacy of like the conferences and kind of the players that come out of it like I remember way back when like Christian McCaffrey he was at Stanford and he was obviously a Heisman Trophy candidate for sure but I feel like no one really saw his games because they were always you know past you know mm-hmm. whatever the East Coast media's time zones are and i think you know obviously derrick henry i think who won that year Mm -hmm. i want to say he obviously deserved it i love derrick henry you know forever and always from fantasy football (laughs) obviously but you know christian mccaffrey is a beast on his own and i feel like you know that kind of affects like the legitimacy of your conference and we know i think you know the pac-12 has lost its kind of luster in the past couple of years like they haven't gotten a playoff bid in just a very long time so yeah you know i think that 
that should also play a factor in it. Maybe USC is looking to kind of, and UCLA obviously is looking to be, you know, taken more seriously, mm-hmm. right? For- and it used to be like a Power Five conference, like you get to have a chance at a playoff bid. Certainly better than like other te- like independent conferences, right? But you know, Cincinnati was able to get a playoff bid this year. So when the Pac-12 still can't get any kind of uh, respect and they're literally letting like independent teams and independent conferences kind of get in to that mix, I feel like, yes, you should be looking at other options. But this definitely like blindsided the Pac-12. And, you know, what do you think, you know, their kind of response is going to be to something like this? Do you think that, you know, everyone's going to jump ship soon or and the conference kind of gets decimated? What can they do at this point? Yeah, and just want to go back a bit. I think you made some really good points there, especially how the conference isn't being treated as seriously. You know, since Christian McAfee, I think he was a Heisman finalist, but he didn't, of course, make it there. But just in general, mm-hmm. right? Uh, only two Pac-12 schools have uh, made it to the college football playoffs, and that was, I think, it was first University of Washington, uh, the Huskies, and then Oregon Ducks, and then you know, the rest of the schools like. Utah and unfortunately not the USC Trojans. We have yet to make the college football playoffs, but who knows? We could get in this year. It'd be amazing. But just looking at the rest of the Pac-12's response, of course, the Pac-12, their their, um, alias, I guess, is the Conference of Champions. And that's kind of true. Uh, If we look Mm -hmm. at college sports in general, right, the schools with the most kind of collegiate sports championship titles like in division one that's going to be i think the most is stanford then ucla then usc so it's true you know we are the conference of champions but in every sport that kind of doesn't matter like i this term has been thrown around a lot more recently like the olympic sports and we certainly the pac-12 dominate the olympic sports but in terms of the ones that people care the most about like basketball march madness and of course college football uh, the success hasn't been as recent as compared to the, to the other power five conferences uh, mm-hmm. but looking in kind of response to this move from usc and ucla to the big 10 here for the pac-12 uh, there are a number, there are a couple options, I'd say. They could, I guess, one, stay together as the uh, as the Pac-10 now, I guess, which is, I guess, possible. Because if you look at the remaining schools we have in uh, the Pac, well, Pac-12, I guess, for now, we there are definitely still kind of big market schools, right? Because as we've seen with this move, it's all mm-hmm. about the media, right? It's all about how much money media can generate. You still have the likes of Oregon and Washington dominating the Seattle and the Portland market there. Um, you have the Arizona schools, Colorado, even Utah are big can can have can bring in the money. But the big thing, but the loss of both LA schools, that's going to be massive. I'm pretty sure. You know, UCLA for basketball, USC for football, you know, they were probably, you know, carrying the conference in terms of how much revenue they were raking in there. And was the loss of both of those schools, that means the Pac-12, it's going to be, they're going to be losing recruits, I would think, out of those regions, losing a sizable chunk of money from the loss of the LA schools there. So that is very hard for the conference to ignore. And they will, I think, personally, they will need to find some, potentially looking at other schools to replace the two blue blood schools that have lost so we're gonna from what i've seen there's talks of a big name i've heard is san diego state university the aztecs they've been a very solid maybe one of the best teams out of the mountain west conference uh perennial very recently um 
consistent, like a top 25 school, honestly. And they have a very good football program. And I could definitely see the Pac-12 adding San Diego State. And of course, it is a state school, which hurts the Pac-12. It's kind of oh, the best of the best in each state's name there. But, you know, that is the Los Angeles SoCal market. And the Pac-12 desperately needs a replacement for those LA schools. And, and San Diego State's the best option available. Other schools I've seen thrown around, possibly Fresno State, also a very strong school in the mid middle of Central California, also a very good football program. A very interesting one I've seen now is SMU, the Mustangs out of Texas, getting a school oh, for like wow. SMU into the Pac-12, you know, taps them a bit into the Texas market. SMU is also a very decent school academic-wise, it kind of fits, but it is a more religious school, so it kind of, there's pros and cons of them joining uh the Pac-12 there in respects to the other schools, but SMU also has a decent football team and could be a possible candidate. I've even seen Gonzaga thrown around just for the basketball uh, hype that that would bring yeah, up. Yeah, just for basketball. That's a very yeah. big, um, that's a bit of a more tough sell there. So I think the Pac-12 basically will look to add a couple other schools. And the Big 12, I'd also want to add to, is comparable to the Pac-12 in that it's its flagship programs, Oklahoma and Texas, have also left for the SEC. And the Big 12, mm-hmm. I think they are trying to add... I know I know for sure um, UCF, Central Florida, they're trying to add them in. I'm sure they're adding also, I think, BYU as well. Also Houston? I might be getting those mixed up there. But they, they've been trying to add new correct, schools. Yeah. yeah, and I can see the Pac-12 doing the same thing too. And on the other hand, I think besides just adding other possible schools there's the possibility i've heard of alliances form right so if the pack the top pack 12 schools ally with the big 10 why can't the pack 12 ally with the big 12 i could see maybe some schools hopping over to the big 12 like maybe the arizona area schools um or i could see if the pack 12 you know dissolves which is a possibility some of the smaller weaker schools like uh Oregon State, Washington State, I can see those maybe joining like the Mountain West or something. Hell, I could even see Cal joining the Mountain West as, you know, the big name sports <laughs> has been dropping off there. That's a, I think that's a possibility. But, and I've heard talks of Oregon, Washington also trying to join a Big Ten. I heard the ACC has been involved as well, which would be absolutely bonkers <laughs> to think of. That makes no sense. See, yeah. that's the thing. Like, what I don't understand is that I can't. How do you name yourself like the Atlantic Coast Conference? And then like you're going to get Oregon and Washington all the way on the other side just, of the it, like country. I th- it's so weird like to me. Yeah. Like, I I think like was the, the big, the most unprecedented part of this big whole move now is, well, we've yet to see it in practice, but it's like geography is no longer a factor here because right, typically yeah. all the schools have been in their respective areas, um, but this is unprecedented. I think a big concern also is like, what, what are these, Yaki, USC, UCLA are now in the Big Ten. Like, how are the logistics going to work, right? Like, all these sports teams, you know, these are still students, they're going to have to be traveling across the country during, like, the middle of fall, the winter, to compete. Like, <laughs> you're going to be seeing USC flying all the way to Rutgers in New Jersey for a football game. That's or exactly Maryland. what I was going to say. That'd be crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and especially during that time of year, it during the winter time you know it's the harshest of seasons there and i know a lot of questions are going to be out there like you know how are these pac-12 schools going to do you know playing in the midwest all the time and i think that's 
it's gonna be it's definitely going to be an issue early on if not constantly right because you're gonna be playing in snow games you're gonna be hampered by not being used to the conditions also maybe time zones as well and just general traveling fatigue if you have to do that like six times a season you know that's gonna really take a toll on the team and you know everyone's just gonna be tired all the time yep that is definitely something that I certainly had a question about because USC and UCLA, you know, they are traveling. There's a lot of schools in on their coast, right? It's mm-hmm. Oregon, Washington, uh, Cal, right? And then, you know, that's literally all like in a line. They're all on the Pacific uh, time. And now you have to go all the way to, you know, central time. You got to go all the way to the East Coast and, you know, going to the big house oh, in, yeah. you know, the middle of winter. That just sounds terrible. Obviously, you know, USC and Michigan, it's a, it sounds like a great matchup, right? Mm-hmm. And USC, like Ohio State, like I'm sure that, you know, the ratings are going to be huge for this, stuff like that. But do you also fear that, you know, considering the level of competition so far in the Pac-12, and it is a chaotic conference because I, I, I feel like they always beat each other. There's like a circle of suck going oh, yeah. on there. Like, <laughs> I, I see I see some of the posts sometimes. But, you know, do you fear that USC and UCLA, is it better to just be kind of like the doormat of the Big Ten rather than be kind of maybe in, com- in competition to a lesser conference, maybe like the Pac-12? Because Rutgers and Maryland, I don't think they've really competed at all ever since they've really joined the Big Ten themselves. So, like, is that something that is in the discussions? Is that something on your mind when you're Mm -hmm. thinking about this move? Yeah, you brought up a great point there. The whole kind of Pac-12 after dark, the circle of suck, the memes that have spawned from it there. You know, that's definitely true. And that was something that was definitely infuriating as a USC fan I've seen over the years. Because I would (laughs) always see how every USC football game at home works is that even if it's against a lower level team like your Arizona schools or um, Oregon State, for example, just something... U.S. like we're always going to start off we always kind of play down to the competition I feel like it's going to be close maybe like a one score sometimes two score game at halftime and we don't really pull Mm -hmm. away until like the fourth quarters U.S. is a very fourth quarter team what I've seen over the years there so we play down to the competition and then all we have right now is since the Helton era and we have not played well against the top 25 teams in the nation like I can't remember the last time I can't remember if I've seen USC beat a team in the top 25 outside of the Pac-12. Like, I think it might have been my freshman year when we played against Texas at home, which was honestly one of the best games I got to witness. Um, It was a very competitive game. The Coliseum was full of people. It was the most people I've ever seen there. And we ultimately prevailed in overtime against Texas. was a walk-off field goal there. So that was a great game. That might have been... Was that uh, Darnold? Darnold that was, was Sam Darnold. Yeah, that was still um, the 2017 season. We had Darnold. He led us to victory in that game. And that was probably the nice. best game, um, one of our best games that season. But yeah, I think that was the last time we beat a out-of-conference top 25 team. Um, unfortunately, in my time there, we've have, we have we didn't beat Notre Dame in any of those years. They've had <laughs> our number, unfortunately, um, unfortunately, these past couple of years. But we can definitely, we'll definitely be more competitive in the next few years. But yeah. Yeah, so basically, like, what I was, like, I'm not trying to say that USC is going to be, like, a doormat in mm-hmm. any way or UCLA, but do you think that, in a way, does this move actually 
make um do they have a higher or a lower chance at a college football playoff bid because i feel mm. like that's the biggest thing that you're trying to get to as an like a team as an organization it's to be in contention for that college mm-hmm. football playoff bid right yeah. and the pac 12 obviously wasn't getting anywhere right with that so do you think that it was better to just wait it out and just be dominant in a not a great conference but maybe you didn't get that bid or do you think it's better to just be like you have to go to a higher level of competition build yourself up to that higher level of competition to get that bid like what do you think do you think that this move is going to ultimately lead to a bid for the college football playoff for the trojans or the bruins yeah not the bruins (laughs) for sure but yeah i think uh i think definitely so this of course, it's going to be very difficult for a lot of the factors we talked about, all this traveling. It's going to be a big handicap on the SoCal teams. But I think, you know, of course, the Big Ten winner, and we've seen this in the past couple CFPs, right? You have the Big Ten winner versus the Pac-12 winner. Well, the Big Ten teams, you you probably need to be at least Michigan or Ohio State or Penn State, perennial top 10 teams, with Wisconsin, mm-hmm. Iowa, tough customers there as well. Versus the Pac-12, like... You got your USC, Oregon. Utah has been very good lately, but every other school is inconsistent. They could have great years or just be awful the year after. And then uh, part of those non-conference wins we're talking about too are far and few between to come through. So I would definitely think like if USC does um, you know, win the conference, if, so if we do win the conference of the Big Ten, it would be a lot, lot better shape. It'll be virtually, I'd go as far to say virtually a guarantee to almost get into the CFP versus if they were a Pac-12 winner. That makes sense, yeah. I think I don't think the Big Ten has ever been not nominated. I think it was like one year where Alabama and Georgia mm-hmm. were in the same. Um, I think that was a couple of years they... ago, and Ohio State wasn't there. I think that's the only time I've ever seen them I, not in the college It might have been playoff. a year when the Big Ten butchered themselves. I think Oregon or Washington slipped <laughs> through the cracks there, but... Yeah, I mean, it's always in the past. I think it was Michigan last season, and then they finally had their shot. And then Ohio State, for sure, they've won before. And uh, Penn State has made an appearance as well. So right, a lot more Big Ten teams have uh, had success, have some degree of success in the CFP versus the pack here. Yeah. And I don't think this move, when is this move taking place again? 2025? Right? Uh, I think 2024. Um, somewhere, I think, last three years 2024 2025 so it's actually not not that far in the future i'd say yeah so should be a lot of uh should be very exciting honestly Mm -hmm. all right we're gonna move on here and we're gonna talk about a couple players that we talked about on our nfl draft preview a couple of it was a while ago obviously but you know we didn't get a chance to pick your brain on this um you've seen a couple of these USC players up close and personal mm-hmm. um, at your time at USC. So I wanted to get your opinion on uh, two players in general. And both of them are named Drake for some reason. <laughs> I don't really know what that's all about. Love Drake but... at USC. <laughs> of course. So let's talk about the first one here. Drake London, wide receiver at a USC. He goes, I think, eighth overall to the Atlanta Falcons. Mm-hmm. He was the highest drafted wide receiver in this draft which was a surprise to us we made some comments on it and you know what what were your thoughts when you first saw drake london drafted there do you think it's a good fit for atlanta uh love the pick uh early on for i think especially looking at atlanta right their wide receiver 
their offensive talent, they definitely need some help there. Like they basically their offense is like Kyle Pitts basically as their top pass catcher, and then their top wide receiver was like Olamon Zacchaeus or however you pronounce his name. So yeah. they definitely need the boost in the wide receiver department. And what they're getting out of Drake London is honestly a absolutely amazing pick for them. Uh, Drake he can play in the slot. He's or or in the slot or along the sidelines as well. He's a perf- He's kind of like the prototypical USC wide receiver that has been getting drafted lately there. And we've seen a string of USC wide receivers getting taken early on in the draft now. You know, starting off with Juju Smith-Schuster, Michael Pittman <laughs> Jr., and then well, Amon Ross St. Brown was a later pick, but I'm sh- I think next year he's going to blossom into a great wide receiver. But what all these wide receivers I saw had in common, you know, on the football field was that. They have size and height, and that that makes it so such that those 50-50 balls, those deep shots that quarterbacks throw, feels more like a 60-40, if not 70-30. Especially with Michael Pittman, I felt that. And with Drake London, for sure, he had a ton of those um, explosive plays as well because of his size. And he actually was going to play both on the football team and the basketball team. But he ultimately picked football, so he has that height and that kind of experience jumping from basketball. So he's great in the air. He's a great pass catcher there. I rarely see, you know, I rarely saw our top wide receivers like Pittman or Amon Ra, or in this case, London, you know, they rarely drop the ball there. So they're very clean with their game. Um, And I would definitely think that London has the size, the agility, and kind of the experience, you know, playing both types of wide receivers to and uh, be the go-to target really for Marcus Mariota and the Atlanta Falcons here. Yeah, I remember when I was looking at Drake London in the draft coverage, I compared him to Kenny Galladay mm-hmm. and he has incredible size and he looks like he was very good at those. He's not the best at separating, but he gets those contested 50-50 balls no matter what. Mm-hmm. And he's like a great leaper, great size. So, you know, definitely after Calvin really got suspended for a year for gambling, you know, you got <laughs> you gotta you gotta do something there at the wide receiver position. Mm-hmm. So I have an interesting, you know, game for you, if you would. Yeah, sure. You mentioned these USC wide receivers, Pittman, Juju, London, Amon Ross St. Brown, right? Mm-hmm. You are a fantasy football player, of course. Mm-hmm. We heard you on the listener league. You almost made the playoffs, I believe. Um <laughs> Was a close one. You're Jonathan Taylor, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's very tough. But we know that you love your USC players here. So I would like you to rank these players in terms of who you draft who in fantasy draft? football. Very interesting. So we got we got Pittman, we got Juju, we got London, we got Amon Ross St. Brown. Which one would like would you how would you rank them in terms of mm-hmm. like your drafting strategy yeah looking at it from a fantasy football perspective um just thinking of in terms of usage which uh wide receivers are going to see the most uh, passes coming their way to i think i would say all of these wide receivers you know look to be the top pass catchers on their team i know juju has some competition in kansas city as other they brought in a few wide receivers to ramp up after tyreek hill left who i also had in fantasy but (laughs) i would definitely like I think I would go with... I've always been a big Michael Pittman. Um, I, I think, honestly, I out of all those wide receivers I saw, I didn't get to see Juju because he was he got drafted a year before me, but I've always liked Pittman uh, the most. I uh, got lucky in, in this last year's draft. I got him. I think everyone, anyone really kind of 
saw or most fantasy football maybe people in general didn't really see like you know the heist that he could bring but from what i saw at usc i knew like that guy he always came down with the ball he always caught the deep ball there so i knew the level of consistency and the good hands he had there so i can see Pittman getting a lot of usage uh there uh but uh, it's very difficult i would just say i definitely like Pittman, so i would go a hero play with him as the top pick out second okay. one Going between, I'm judging between Juju and Amon Ra. I know Amon Ra looks to be a top pass catcher in terms of wide receiver wise. He also has TJ Hockenauer, I think, the top. He was, yeah, he was Hawkinson, also Hawkinson. And I think there's also Jamison Williams who drafted Williams. this year from Alabama. Yeah, Lions have, honestly, might have a decent offense next season, right? Well, you got Jared Goff, yeah. but it's like you got Amon Ra, <laughs> you got Hawkinson, uh, and then. Uh, Jamison Williams as well. They have decent weapons on offense, but I think I'll go with. I think I'll. I think I'll stick with Juju as the second one, just because. Uh, you know, he had those years. We saw the level of potential like right out of the gate when he was at Pittsburgh, and then there was drama behind the scenes. I guess things didn't go as uh, well for him. He wasn't used as much, and he was hurt a lot last season too. So I definitely can see Juju rebound as the top uh, wide receiver out of this Kansas City offense here and hopefully be a prime target. Oh, right. He has... Oh, God, I don't know what's his Mahomes. Mahomes. I was blanking on the name for a second there. But yeah, <laughs> he has Mahomes throwing to him. So yeah, I could definitely... Hell, Juju should be first, honestly, if he's the top pass catcher. But I'll just stick with Pittman, just because I like him, and then Juju. Looking at Amon Ra, and then Drake London, he's going to be, you know, a rookie in this offense. He has Mariota throwing to him, who was like a gadget player on the Raiders last season. <laughs> so he hasn't he hasn't put up, like, strong throwing numbers in a while now there, too. So it might take a while for that relationship to build and that kind of, that passing game to really uh, revamp for Atlanta there. So I think I would go... In terms of my personal preference, I like Pittman. If you're a more analytical or you know more focused on the points, maybe go Juju first. But Pittman, Juju, uh, Amon Ra, then London. That all makes sense to me, honestly. I love Amon Ra, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sun god carried my way to the, play- <laughs> he, to the championship. I actually. loved his name there. Um, now during that football, <laughs> during the football season, like we coined a nickname for him on the band. And honestly, USC fans just Amon Ra, the sun god, and. Each game, each Saturday, the Amon Ra, the Sun God himself, would save USC's, would save uh, Helton's job, really, for a while. Just was, it would just be, you know, Keaton Slovis, just, you know what, screw it. Amon, I know Amon Ra's down there, and he would just huck a deep pass, Amon Ra would catch in the end zone, and we'd eke out a victory. So I've, I've, no Amon Ra. He's definitely a Sun God. I will take your word for it, and I will definitely be looking at him a lot closely in our listener league next mm-hmm. year. Okay, let's move on to the defensive side of the ball here. Our Niners drafted a USC Trojan with their first pick, which is in the second round. It was the edge rusher Drake Jackson. What do you have to say about him? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Drake Jackson, honestly, USC's defense, um, by the numbers, hasn't been too hot the past couple years. We've had some good players drafted. Uh, including Hufanga, who was also on the 49ers last year, playing a safety, mm-hmm. playing a very smart safety position. We also had, we've also had this other guy. We've had a couple uh, cornerbacks and then another similar pass rusher. 
Uh, my name is Porter Gustin. He was also drafted recently too. But I think I was most hyped for Drake Jackson. He's by far the top defensive player I've seen, you know, being drafted out of USC in my time there. Uh, he's been at the program for, oh, he was at the program for three years. And from, from, the, from the get-go as a freshman, he was providing value. You know, he was playing that edge position and getting sacks, consistent tackles for losses, like games in and like games out there. So he, starting from a freshman, you know, he was a playmaker on the USC defense. And if he was not like the USC playmaker on defense, because, you know, rarely other names were called making the big plays. So what the, what the Niners are getting is you have a top-level edge rusher. He might be a bit uh, small uh, because he's been shifted around a bit. He played a bit of like more of an outside linebacker, too, so he's slimmed down a bit. But once he develops his size, you know, he works on his pass rushing skills. I'm sure he could, he could complement the likes of, you know, of course, Bosa and Kinlaw. He could complement those very well and be a force as a pass rusher. Do you think that he starts day one? Uh, opposite of Bosa? I don't... Uh, opposite of Bosa right now, I think it's still Kinlaw. I don't know if Kinlaw's injured. I think I think Kinlaw plays inside, so I think D Ford is still D4, somehow on the roster. Right. So, but he he does get injured a lot, so... Yeah, I think that Jackson... He might actually benefit not starting from day one, and I think what happens a lot is you have your, like... Typically, you have like a first-round draft pick edge rusher. They're thrust into the lineup and expected to perform from day one, but that can be a lot of pressure. Which Jackson's case, he's an early like second-round pick, has a bit less pressure. He also has the luxury of a great kind of pass rushing, pass rushing front seven already with likes of that we talked about already, especially with uh, Bosa. So he can definitely has the luxury of being able to be play more of a backup role and learn behind his more uh, top-level experienced peers there. Um, so once he gets more comfortable, I can see maybe Niners thrusting him in, trying him, running as a backup in some of maybe like the middle of the season there, see how he blossoms from that experience there. But I don't personally don't expect him to be, you know, a day one starter. Okay. That sounds good. Hey, I think that, yeah, I love the potential that he brings it sounds like, you know, when I first texted you about him because I was like, oh, he's from USC. What do you think about him? And you immediately said right away, you know, best defensive player for USC, mm -hmm. like day one. So, you know, the Niners have built themselves as a championship caliber team based on their defense. Hopefully, you know, Trey Lance makes them also an offensive po powerhouse. Mm -hmm. But, you know, defense win championships and hopefully Drake Jackson can bring the hardware to Santa Clara. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to see the tag team of, you know, Bosa, Jackson, just, just wrecking teams' offensive lines. That's a dream come true. <laughs> okay, let's move on here to the college football, just overall in general. I know it's like a month away, of course, but, you know, never too early to start. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about your team first and kind of the expectations here. So uh, other than, you know, USC moving to the Big Ten, you also had another big move. Clay Helton was obviously dismissed and Lincoln Riley was introduced as the new USC head coach. That was kind of a big shocker. Obviously, he left Nebraska, I want to say. Oh, no, not Nebraska, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Yeah. yeah, I was like thinking. And it was because Oklahoma, you know, moved to the SEC, and I think Lincoln Riley had some hesitations about that. Ironically, now he moves to the Big Ten. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, what were your kind of thoughts on the move? 
tell me first about Clay Helton. You know, what what were your thoughts on him? Clay Helton, what a guy. So <laughs> the positives of Clay Helton, very nice guy. Um you could tell from when we saw him, uh like before every he's a big USC tradition, before every uh football game, like on the Friday before, the band will go to this kind of plaza that's right next to the football field there and will play and the team will come out and mm-hmm. a football player like a star player or a coach will climb up onto the ladder and give a rousing speech for both the band and the football team you know uniting the two together there um, rallying them for the game that's going to be coming the next day on saturday and that hypes everyone up gets everyone going for game day of course the biggest most important day of the year and uh helton he always came up came off as as very nice and cordial everyone seemed to love him but being the nice guy doesn't necessarily mean you know you're the best football coach there and the biggest hit against the helton usc team was just mostly like a lack of discipline first and foremost like we would get tons of unnecessary penalties like i can't think of specifics but i can't count the number of times right usc has a great play like a deep like a deep pass or uh, like a deep pass breakup by a cornerback, but that's just like negated by like a horse collar tackle or just some dumb holding that's so obvious to everyone except the person doing it there. So we got a lot of unnecessary penalties, lack of discipline at some times too. Like I've definitely seen our team like taunting the opposing team before and then just living to regret it because we just lose the game afterwards there too. So a lack of discipline too many unnecessary penalties and overall just general lack of effort too, which kind of compounds with, you know, the team as itself. We didn't have the best of records, but a lot of even our home games when we weren't doing well, the team just didn't play with any fire or energy and lose to inferior teams, you know? And I guess finally there's, there are also reports that like our team wasn't playing like uh, I think so typically like like the team does want to have like practices when they're like all in pads in preparation to re- to reflect like a real game and we weren't doing that only doing like, like once or twice a week meaning that the team just wasn't prepared to face like on field actual competition because we weren't practicing at the level of vigor that we should have there too so Helton he was a nice coach but it led to the team being undisciplined and just the team just wasn't prepared to face top level competition, you know, on game day. Uh, okay. But, yeah. So then, you know, what do you think that Lincoln Riley brings mm-hmm. that Clay Helton does not then? Uh, with Lincoln Riley, right? You're getting one of the brightest young minds in college football right now. You know, he's been heralded as an offensive genius. He's a quarterback whisperer, right? <laughs> he's worked with the likes of Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, you know, Jalen Hurts, and they've become great talents at the next level, the NFL level too. So he's had great success, uh, much uh, kind of mentoring these quarterbacks. He's also had worked with star wide receivers like, you know, CeeDee Lamb, like D.D. Westbrook, I think too. And I also read a random fact, I think he worked with Michael Crabtree as well, another uh, 49ers legend. Uh, um, legend is a little much but yeah i think that's <laughs> right i think there's also uh hollywood right hollywood brown hollywood brown also all right he's from oklahoma yeah. for sure yeah so quite a few oklahoma uh oklahoma talents um that he kind of worked with there so he's definitely an offensive uh mastermind there his level what he works with kind of the popular uh air raid offense popularized by you know bob stoops the former legendary oklahoma coach he worked under 
Also, Mike Leach, the, a very interesting figure, um, very <laughs> comical figure coach. But yeah, Lincoln Riley runs an air raid offense, but he likes to, from what I understand, he likes to involve the running back more, which is interesting because USC has been pivoting to an air raid offense under the previous offensive coordinator, Graham Harrell, but that kind of left the running back didn't have much of a role at all. It was just, you know... And they could kind of get away with it because it was just Keaton Slovis just throwing to, you know, Amon Ross, St. Brown, London, Pittman. And they would just get. That's what happened with USC and the Hilton era. They were just bailed out by the sheer level of talent of these recruits, but they just weren't developing, um, which mm-hmm. was the big thing back then. But yeah, we're going to look to see um, the crafty Lincoln Riley throw some new looks for the offense, going for, I think he's, he likes redirects. Um, to like juke out the defense there and involve more of running back play to just kind of keep the enemy defense, you know, off kilter and just not knowing what to expect there too. So yeah, a very offensive focused um, head coach, but just kind of looking at reality, kind of what our potential weaknesses we've seen, right? Kind of, he has that, I guess, kind of almost a reputation now kind of shedding away from the competition because they say, oh, he didn't want to play in SEC levels. So he tried to go to the Pac-12, but he's going to be at the Big Ten now. So I don't know how that, if he realized that was in the works when he was hired. <laughs> but I'm confident from what I've seen was, you know, he's, took, he's taken multiple teams to the college football um, playoffs and, you know, USC hasn't even been there yet. I can def- I'm confident in him bring up to that next level and into like the playoff picture. Yeah, and... You know, this isn't the only kind of change that you guys have made. I know that Keaton Slovis, the guy that you were talking about, the starting quarterback, I think he left mm-hmm. to join somewhere else. I uh, think he transferred Pittsburgh, somewhere else. Or Pittsburgh, actually, which is interesting where Jordan Addison, the uh, top wide receiver transfer that we got, and, and the Blinkoff Award winner for the top wide receiver in college football. So it was an exchange from USC to Pittsburgh, basically. So he went, so uh, the wide receiver went to USC and then slovis went to pittsburgh or they both went to pittsburgh oh yeah uh, slovis went to uh slovis is in uh pittsburgh and then for addison he was at pittsburgh he won that blinkoff award but now he transferred to usc okay well at least it's a trade but well, I, I, I know that yeah i've heard uh i've heard a good amount that a uh, big factor in Addison's transfer was a uh, was a was a fat nil deal, so I think some money Ooh. might have been involved as well. But that's the nature, also part of the changing landscape of college football now, right? You know, uh, players can be in adver- advertisements and get money for recruitment now. So a whole new pack of worms opening for the first time this season. That's Hollywood, baby. That's what you got to get. But I do know you guys got another quarterback. It is Caleb Williams. And I believe that Lincoln Riley worked with him before, right? Wasn't he at Oklahoma as well? Yeah, so Caleb Williams was also at Oklahoma. So Oklahoma last year uh, didn't do as well in the Big 12. Uh, now it's, well, some of it was because of the spotty quarterback play. Their starting quarterback at the beginning of the season was Spencer Rattler, who yeah. I forgot if he transferred. I feel like he did. But Caleb Williams, after Spencer, Rattler was benched. Caleb Williams became the starting quarterback, and Oklahoma played a lot better for the rest of the season. And Caleb and a host of other Oklahoma personnel, both coaches and players, have followed their coach, Lincoln Riley, to Los Angeles, to USC now. Yeah, so 
is Caleb Williams expected to be the starter, or is yeah the, another one in the mix? I think he should be the clear-cut starter. His only other competition, actually, because of the transfers of Slovis, I think U.S. If 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 uh Caleb didn't come, our starting quarterback would probably have been this guy Miller Moss, four-star quarterback. Um, played like a little bit last season, um, but just more of an like a red shirt freshman bit inexperienced here so he would have been i think there was a quarterback competition between miller moss and caleb williams but i would fully expect caleb williams to be the starting quarterback on um, opening day okay and obviously usc is still in the pac-12 and as we've seen before the pac-12 is not the most competitive conference so do you think that under Lincoln Riley this year what are the expectations for USC what are you expecting in terms of win count are you gonna win the conference playoff bid mm-hmm. what do you think well let's break it down here I had like the I drew up our, our full 12 game season and we kind of looked through if the game is if we're gonna Ooh. win or lose okay. so opening game at home versus Rice that's an easy win right there <laughs> uh, <laughs> next game after that at Stanford uh, I think Stanford Stanford was the team, unfortunately, which caused the whole Clay Helton exit because they were the team that beat us, and then Mike Bone, our athletic director, just fired Tarmac. Basically, do you mean unfortunate or you know fortunate? Well, unfortunate that Stanford beat us, but very fortunate that you know we now have Lincoln Riley as our head coach. So yeah, uh, at Stanford, they've always there's it's always tough to play at Stanford, but. Uh, I would definitely think we can. Um, I definitely think we could win that one, but that could be, I'd say sixty percent, sixty-five percent chance we win that one. Fresno State uh, at home, we should win. At uh, Oregon State University, should also be an easy win for us. Next up is Arizona State at home, and Arizona State actually has given us some fits in the last couple of years or so. They ended a big home win streak of ours in 2019. They beat us last year as well, so they could be troublesome, but I can definitely see us defeating Arizona State at home. We got Washington State after that, and that we should win. Then after that, we have the big test of the season, you know, at Utah and playing at Utah is extremely difficult. And even the last couple of home games we've had, we were able to beat Utah by slivers there. So I think just being realistic, I can, I definitely can see us, you know, not winning at Utah. So there's a, there's a fair chance we get an L out of that one there. Uh, but then we should rebound the week after that at Arizona Wildcats. They should be a lot better than last season, but we should still be able to handle them. Then we have Cal at home, which we should win. And then we have Colorado after that. And we've never lost Colorado before at home. Knock on wood, of That's course. That's a jinx right there. <laughs> they we're very consistent. It's been like, we're like 16-0 against them. But we, I fully expect us to beat Colorado. And then after that, we have the rivalry games. At UCLA, um, I think UCLA, are they still have... Dorian Thompson Robinson, the top quarterback that they've had the last couple of years. I forgot if he transferred or not, but assuming the UCLA will always be tough, but I think we come out of the win out of that one. And then we end the season um, with Notre Dame coming in. And I think, I think realistically, you know, just kind of expectations for season four, Lincoln Riley. I don't think, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. I don't think we're going to, I mean, we we're four and eight last season, and it might take a while for us to kind of shed off the Helton era. Um, and I don't know if we're going to be, you know, com- uh, basically 
we're not going to be like undefeated right off the bat there. I don't think they're just going to be from night and day. So I mm-hmm. really want us to beat Notre Dame just because I want us to Notre Dame lose. But there's a very decent chance we lose that one too. So I think in a perfect world, I think at USC's peak, we're like a 10-2 team. But I would personally be fine was like, uh, was like I want to say 8-4, more probably like a 9-3 team. But I think... I think eight four is the bare 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 minimum. Mm-hmm. I think like a nine three or a ten win team would be more expected. So, do you think that's around like what six in the uh, rankings? Maybe a Rose Bowl bid. Um, and that would depend on if we make it to the Pac twelve championship game, and that would likely me ha- mean having to get past Utah, assuming Utah doesn't have any stumbling blocks there. So, if we beat Utah, we should have a very good chance of being in the Pac twelve championships there, being you know first or second for the whole conference. But if we're like eight four, like an if we can, sorry, an eight win nine win team, um, that. I don't know if that'll get us into a New Year's Six Bowl, like the most prestigious of bowl games. It might get us to like the Holiday Bowl again in like San Diego. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, we want to there or like Vegas. Maybe they'll bring back the Red Box Bowl in in Levi's. But I think that's for for like six, six teams basically. But yeah, I think um, we're looking to maybe run. uh, I'm looking at around eight or nine wins for the first season here. If they bring back the Red Box Bowl, you know, Honestly, I don't know how big of an influence we have, but Redbox, please bring back the Redbox Bowl. <laughs> you know, we'll sponsor it. We'll, sponsor we'll, it. we'll promote it on the air. We want a Bay Area Bowl. We're yeah, going to bring folks. football back to the Bay Area, yeah. right? It's been stale. Stanford and Cal, no one wants to go see them, but we want to see <laughs> We want to see the likes of yeah. like Washington <laughs> State playing against like Illinois <laughs> or something. That's going to be That's, amazing. I think I think last time it was, the last time ever in Redbox history, I think it was Cal and uh, oh, yeah. Illinois. It was. I think. It was Cal. Yeah. Illinois. I think. Did Cal win? I yes. think we did win. I think Cal I think, win. I think they won. Amazing. Yes. I love mid-bowls. I love mm-hmm. mid-bowls. So exactly. just like bring it back. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, you know, I think that's a very good expectation to have. You know, Lincoln Riley, he turned around the Oklahoma program immediately and obviously you know oklahoma is a big name school but so is usc back in the day and they still hold some power now so you know i think that's very much in the conversation but you know it's the only issue i see here is just the pac-12 chaos mm-hmm. i think that you know one of those i feel like whenever you whenever i see the pac-12 and i always root for the pac-12 because i don't have a team so i just root for the west coast conference mm-hmm. and Whenever I see like, okay, oh, okay, Oregon actually could be in the conversation. They beat Ohio State, right? <laughs> they then did. they lose to Stanford. Oh my and God. then like and then bam, college football playoff bid immediately gone. Yeah. Or Utah, right? Utah then is like number five, right, mm-hmm. in the rankings. Then they lose to Oregon. So mm-hmm. then like it's just it's always chaotic to me. It's and I always suck. see <laughs> yeah, exactly. just the circle of just looking at the schedule, I think the biggest trap games, trip games for us is probably gonna be like stanford or arizona state again or actually maybe washington state i've heard washington state they might be cooking up something pullman washington there too i think they have a decent quarterback and then revamping their offense but one of those three um games i think could be a trap like a trap loss game the cougars are very formidable Mm -hmm. they're like the ultimate trap team 
Yeah, they've they've done that before. Actually, my freshman year, uh, we had Darnold, and we were doing great, and then we lost in Pullman, and then, um, yeah, we we made the Cotton Bowl that year, uh, but we lost to Ohio State there. But that was a great experience. That was at AT and T, based the doubt like uh, the Cowboys home stadium, basically. So that was a great experience. Uh, Terrible game. Oh, you were there for that, right? Yeah, I saw that. That was us, Clay Hilton, versus. Wow, what's the house this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer, right there, and <laughs> Urban Meyer came up on top there. Ah, oh, dang. Well, you know, at least you got the experience. New Year's Six Bowl—that's crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, is there any Trojans in particular that we should keep a watch for next season? You know, just like from our, let's say, scouting side from the NFL, mm-hmm. or just any interesting players that you think are going to be there, a name. There, soon. there are a number of interesting players. So. I think starting off with just like let's start off with the offensive side of the ball. You got your the quarterback the, the pinnacle of this USC team is going to be the quarterback and the wide receivers, right? So the play of Caleb Williams, another Oregon uh, Oklahoma transfer Mario Williams uh, will be a factor, but I think the star wide receiver now is going to be Jordan Addison, the transfer from Pitt I mentioned who won the top award for the top wide receiver in college football last year which I would want to add if Drake London was healthy the entire season, he definitely would have won that award instead. (laughs) But no, we definitely would love Addison on the team. We also have a number of wide receivers. We have a man by the name of Brandon Rice, the son of Jerry Rice, a name very familiar to 49ers fans. Um, I think I know him. Yeah, he will transfer, I think, from Colorado, but he's going to be on the team. We also have... Jordan Addison, Mario Williams. We have a couple remainders from the Helton era wide receivers. We have Gary Bryant Jr. and Kyle Ford, but I'd expect them to be playing more backup roles there. But I think on the defensive side, the big name to watch is going to be Corey Foreman. He is supposed to be, I think, yeah, basically the next replacement for Jake Jackson. He was the five-star recruit. He was the crown jewel of a recruitment of the, from the 2021 season. But I rarely heard from him this past season, and I think it partially to do with, you know, the Helton coaching just wasn't developing the players there. And Corey Foreman wasn't the playmaker we expected, you know, right off the bat for a five-star recruit there. So I definitely want to see Corey Foreman uh, make strides, leaps and bounds this coming season and be that defensive force that, um, that Drake Jackson was. And I think just also on the defensive side, we're going to have a very young a very young secondary. Our top secondaries uh, from last year, Chris Steele and then Isaac Taylor-Stewart, they have left the program now. They graduated. Um, they weren't the best duels. So there's going to be a vacuum in uh, the cornerback department since we lost our top aspects there. And we have a lot of young talent. Uh, Damani Jackson, he was the top recruit from this past season, five-star out of Mater Day. Expect a lot from him, maybe taking the reins. We also, this was the rival of Lincoln Riley. We had a very strong, we have not the top transfer class last year. We have a lot of players coming in from other schools. So adding to that cornerback department, we have, uh, we got cornerbacks like, uh, I think we have a transfer out of Washington who's a cornerback. We have a safety out of Ohio State. Um, well, of course, you had Addison, the wide receiver, and uh, I would definitely be very interested in seeing how these transfers, these kind of mercenaries, I guess, if you will, how <laughs> how uh, Lincoln Riley can make maximum use of them to shore up a younger team, especially on the defensive side of the ball. 
Yeah, you got to have mercenaries. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Yeah. Transfers are, you know, and you got the big NIL deals going on. Mm-hmm. So why not USC? That's exactly what, like, the top teams are doing right now. Like, you know, for example, Texas A&M, there was drama between Jimbo Fisher, the coach there, and then or, uh, Nick Saban, Nick Saban right? yeah, out of Alabama <laughs> there. They're tossing about, you know, the NIL deals. And Texas A&M, they had their best recruitment season ever. They're the number one team for the past year. And their entire team is, they have like half a dozen five-star athletes. So they're absolutely loaded right now. And just kind of looking forward to this next college football season. They could definitely be one of those teams to challenge, you know, Georgia and Alabama this year. Yeah, and I want to talk about just the entire college football landscape in general. You know, it should be very exciting. Obviously, the SEC is the powerhouse that continues to remain. We just saw a college football championship between Alabama and Georgia. And I think this is a, it's the second time that it's already happened in like the five-year history of the college football playoff. So, you know, it seems like the SEC is just destined to continue to remain dominant and kind of dominate over college football but you know tell me a little bit about what you predict for next season like if we have the power five conferences what do you expect from you know do you have like a prediction for each winner of each uh, conference do you have like do you think you know what the top teams are going to be this next season i think a lot of it, especially at the top flight level, like the call, like the CFP level, is going to be much of the same. Like CFP prediction for me is probably going to be like Arizona, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, probably something like that. We've I Arizona. Oh, sorry, uh, Alabama. Alabama, Alabama. I was like, no way, Hey, if Arizona, if Arizona goes undefeated, I don't care who, if they beat us. I, I would love to see Arizona <laughs> be in the college I'm football championship. That'd be awesome. Bear down. Yeah, uh, but I expect most of those four teams, and we, I honestly can't recall last time we saw an upstart team in the CFP. Oh, wait, no, we had Cincinnati. They Cincinnati, that was, yeah. That was it, but that's like, this is the first time really we've seen a kind of surprise in the playoffs there so yeah expect much the same looking at it conference wise i mean that kind of goes a lot of it already right ohio state you know michigan did win the big 10 last year um they're developing very well too so they it's going to be between those two teams but i can definitely see ohio state taking the big 10 again behind the likes of cj Stroud, a quarterback with smith's Najiba at wide receiver who had a breakout game against Utah. Um, definitely see Ohio, Ohio State with the Big Ten. Um, SEC is going to be hyper competitive this year. You know, not just Alabama, Georgia, but Texas A and M. And then I've heard that Tennessee it could be a lot more competitive this year as uh, well. No, going against A and M. And of course, well LSU, uh, you can't count them out as well. So SEC will be very competitive. Probably Alabama or Georgia winning that one. Uh, ACC could be interesting. There's a lot of talks of North Carolina State, the Wolfpacks. They've returned the most players from the previous team. They actually beat Clemson last year. So it's probably going to be between those two teams, Clemson and NC State, for the ACC title. Big 12, uh was the teams that are remaining Baylor is by it's going to be between Baylor and Oklahoma State I'm definitely leaning Baylor's way and out of the Pac-12 of course we want USC you know USC will we should probably want them to win the Pac-12 but 
Utah is going to be very tough. The return is always a great defense, and their offense, they're returning a lot of uh, starters from there too, so they're going to be very tough. Oregon, they have they no longer have Mario Cristobal, but they've stolen a lot of you a lot of the top talent out of the Los Angeles area, like USC stomping grounds over the years too. So they have to have a talent to compete. But let's just say you know USC wins the Pac-12. Oh, okay, okay, sure. Let's just have USC win the Pac-12. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, conferences aside, winners of the conferences aside, let's talk a little bit more about. Some of the individual players, you know, Heisman Trophy discussions are always something to talk about. And we got a lot of, you know, really, really talented players this year. Obviously, there's some top quarterback prospects. Last year, in terms of the draft, I don't think that it was as promising Mm -hmm. when it came to quarterbacks. So for a team looking for a solution, they kind of like, I think Kenny Pickett obviously was one. But Malik Willis, the top rated quarterback in last year's draft, he got drafted all the way in like third or third round, I want to yeah. say, to Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And Pittsburgh was the only one who drafted um, in the first round, Kenny Pickett. We saw Desmond Ritter out of Cincinnati. He got drafted to the Falcons, I think, in the second or third round. So mm-hmm. not as talented last year. But now this year, there's so much talent at the college football level, especially when it comes to you know two quarterbacks here, Bryce Young out of Alabama and C.J. Stroud out of Ohio State, two top-line quarterbacks headlining the top teams in the league so you know do you have any kind of Heisman Trophy predictions or who's going to come out as kind of one of the best quarterbacks in college football next year yeah Caleb Williams from USC he has some he's up there with the Heisman (laughs) odds as well but you know of course as we mentioned USC is gonna it's not it's gonna be a bit of a rebuild if you will so I don't don't think Caleb unfortunately will be one of the Heisman finalists, but I think it's going to come down to Bryce Young. He won the Heisman last year in a relatively weak, you know, the Heisman typically is going to go to like the quarterbacks and, you know, he was probably arguably the top quarterback uh, when he, wait, was that two years ago or one year ago? Or one no, year? I think Bryce Young won this year. This year. I okay. Think. Okay. Yeah. Wait, no, 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 no. Did he? I think it was... Uh, it can't have been in I two don't. years. I, let's just say Bryce Young <laughs> won this year. I don't think he's going to repeat. Those are just so rare, and especially competing against C.J. Stroud out of Ohio State. He had a monster year last year, and Ari Sum said that he should have been the Heisman winner uh, last year as opposed to Young. Um, and that connection between C.J. Stroud and that top wide receiver, Smith Jiba, who also could be a Heisman contender, you know, that's going to be Stroud's going to be a very strong candidate other ones we have we have a non-quarterback be john robinson running back out of texas he was electric mm-hmm. for them early last year he could be a dark horse in the running too but my personal pick would be cj stroud i can see him having a great year another great year out of ohio state there and taking a trophy uh i guess there's also honorable mentions there's uh, Quinn Ewers, who I think is still locked in the quarterback battle in Texas there, but he's a five-star, and um, he could definitely win a starting job. He has uh, Archie Manning, I think, as competition next year, which would be interesting to see. Yep. There's also the Clemson quarterback, of course, DJ Ugliale, but he didn't do as hot last season, but that's, we don't know. He could rebound and be another contender. But yeah, my personal pick, looking at CJ Stroud as the projected Heisman winner. Okay, and when you're talking about quarterbacks, you know, the Heisman Trophy conversation and the 
quarterback conversation, it feels like it's almost synonymous because, you know, a Heisman Trophy like the MVP is almost always a quarterback award. You don't really see it for anyone else. Obviously, we talked about Derrick Henry winning it. I think running backs win it uh, second most, right? Probably, yeah. Yeah. But could you give, like, a ranking of, like, the college football quarterbacks next season to watch for the very unfortunate teams next year that may need one? Seattle. (laughs) Oh, so looking at which... um... It's not saying like an NFL team, which ones they'd be most interested in. Yeah, like what what are your like top quarterbacks in the college mm-hmm. football landscape next year? Yeah, definitely a lot that we discussed in the Heisman discussion. We're not sure if all of them will somebody stay another year. Uh, but for the, the very top flight level, the Heisman, they're probably if they do very well this season, they're going to look to join an NFL team and enter the draft next season. So once again, definitely Stroud. I think Caleb will stay at USC at least another year unless he's absolutely electric this year, which we cross fingers for. Uh, <laughs> Stroud, um, Bryce Young, it's about time for him to go to the NFL. I'm, he's almost certainly going to be out um, going to draft next season. It's going to be definitely a name to watch too. Uh, Ewers, I don't think he's going to leave yet. He needs to compete uh, for his – he's going to want to fight against uh, Manning there. And then DJ, he he's definitely more more distant from the top. I think the top two is definitely going to be you know Stroud and Young. DJ a bit out of there. Uh, let me think. Just across the other conferences, who else do we have that could be in that quarterback talk there? In the Pac-12, there are a couple names. Famous Michael Penix Jr., who had made Indiana very good two years ago but was awful last year. He's out of Washington, but Washington has his own quarterback fight he needs to make his way out of. Uh, Big 12, I the, the Oklahoma State quarterback, those are always, Big 12 schools always going to have big arm gunner quarterbacks. Uh, I think he, I forgot his name, but he could definitely make the NFL hop next year too and put his name in the running. So Big 12 always have quarterbacks with big throwing arms there. And in Georgia, right, we got... um. Uh, Stetson Bennett, he was against uh, Daniels, a former USC transfer as well. Uh, JT Daniels? JT Daniels for the longest time, yeah. too, who I think JT transferred again. I think I don't know if he solidified. Look at that West Virginia, from what I've heard. Uh, but I he, think that you're correct. Yeah, he's slated yeah. to draft. To, it's such a talented quarterback class, you know. Keaton Slovis out of Pittsburgh as well, probably looking for a draft as well. So, yeah, Keaton Slovis. Uh, J- uh, JT Daniels, Stetson Bennett. Uh, yeah, <laughs> this year was definitely a drought for the quarterback seeking teams. You know, no one's picked till Riddler. But next year, it's going to be, you know, quarterbacks I think are going to dominate the conversation. So if you're in need, if you're an NFL team in need for a QB next season, like your, your Houston Texans, maybe your Browns or your Seattles, you have a wealth of options to choose from. Who's your number one overall pick? Let's predict it right now. Give uh, me your uh, give me your council call here. Next year pick. Uh, I'm so I don't first overall. I want to say Stroud again, but I'm so I'm just very high on Stroud today for some reason. I don't. He's gonna be you know top Heisman winner, top QB, number one pick. I don't know if that's gonna be the case. Uh, round one, the first overall pick definitely can vary a bit more. It doesn't always have to be a quarterback. Um, I can definitely see some dominating o-line figure or a big pass rusher from the sec you know come out of nowhere and like take those 
mm-hmm. the offensive side, some of those other names I mentioned, Robinson, um, Smith, Jiva. Actually, I think less. Typically, I can't remember the last time a wide receiver was taken or running yeah. back was taken first. Over, was Christian McAfee number one? No, he was like top 10, I want to say. 10. I want to say he was eighth to Carolina. Yeah, probably going to be some big O-line uh, defensive line figure. So you definitely say so you're going stride over Young for now. Uh, just yes. just in terms of like a prediction. For uh, for this season, I'd say, I mean, Young was really great. Boson, he was very prepared well for college football. And though he came from Mater Dang, SoCal, but the best high school team in the nation. I've seen some footage from his high school days. He was very well prepared and poised in those games. And he's done much the same at Alabama as well. I think maybe part of the reason why I and a lot of maybe other people might be down on him is that he I mean, he lost against Georgia in the national championship game, which, I mean, he lost, but they made it to the national championship game, which is a tall task for even Alabama, you know, getting there every year. Well, I mean, they do. <laughs> what am I saying? But yeah, uh, yeah. It's, I think it's mostly because Young did lose, and they say like, "Oh, you know, he he isn't clutch. He he doesn't. He's not like the past Alabama greats that they've been in." But a bit of recency bias kind of being down on him there too. But I mean, if if, if um, Bryce Young is you know Heisman first overall pick and all that again, you know, I wouldn't be the most surprised person out there. Yeah, and I definitely share your sentiment on C.J. Stroud. I remember, I don't watch a lot of, you know, Ohio State games. I try not to. I don't really like them. But, <laughs> you know, I saw the Michigan game, and I saw the Rose Bowl. And he was, I think he, he had a little trouble in the Michigan game, mostly because I think they were just getting after him. Aiden Hutchinson and Ojabo, they were just absolutely crushing him. Yeah. But the Rose Bowl, man, he was electric. Like, there's always this game that you just break out and, you know, that's the game of your college football career. That's the one that the draft process, like, every scout is looking at. And, you know, Darnold, for Darnold, it was also the Rose Bowl. I remember Penn State uh, back in 2017, I want to say. That was That was the one. It was an incredible performance. And I think Stroud, the Rose Bowl last year, he had, like, a comeback win, 573 yards. Mm -hmm. Insane. Like Exactly. He definitely has it, like, oh, yeah. and I think there's a stigma against Ohio State quarterbacks also. Like, that's why Justin Fields, like, they're like, okay, he's a top prospect, but you know, he's also an Ohio State quarterback. So, I feel like Alabama has that too, honestly. Like, yeah, the top level quarterbacks, some of them haven't done very well. Like, look at Ohio State; they had a couple of years back, like right where when they won the national championship, they had a. Uh, or their names there but yeah a lot of those quarterbacks didn't work out like they had prior who be- ultimately became a wide receiver yeah. they had jt barrett which didn't turn out um which didn't turn out well and then uh braxton jt Barrett, braxton miller and then cardell jones who won that championship none of those none, none of those guys panned out alabama well mac jones is doing decently uh for himself there yeah. yes uh and Tua, you got Tua. Superstars. I mean, the top quarter. I mean, the top quarterbacks right now. I mean, I don't know, like uh, Lamar Jalen Jack. Hurts. Jalen Hurts was there for a little bit. Yeah, right? he was Oklahoma but... and Alabama. Um, yeah. Uh, who's the? Oh, who's this? Who's the, who's the Chargers quarterback? Um, Herbert. Herbert's from Herbert. Oregon. Herbert was Oregon. Yeah. Uh, Lamar Jackson, Louisville. 
Um, is there a quarterback factory yeah. in the um, in college the football? Factory. Um, I don't know. I know. I mean, USC's reputation was tailback. You running backs. We had previously many think it's, great running backs. Uh, but for quarterbacks, it's probably Oklahoma, right? Oklahoma. I think yeah, that would make sense if it's one of the Big Twelve schools. Oklahoma, right? Yeah. Yeah, Oklahoma has had yeah Lincoln Riley, right? They had Jalen Hurts, Baker Mayfield. Um, Jalen Hurts. There's one in between. Yeah, I feel like there's another one. Is uh, Kyler Murray as well? So, Kyler Murray. They, yeah, they've uh, all been doing very well um, too. So definitely, yeah, Oklahoma might be the quarterback factory, and that's not because the offense, Big Twelve offense is all, or Big Twelve games always. It might be interesting. It might be boring because it's always massive, like very high scoring games with zero defense whatsoever. <laughs> like even was I think. Um, Mahomes, he was from Texas Tech, also a Big Twelve school, but like Texas Tech in particular, have a god awful defense. And guys are win games; they win like fifty points, and but they still lose yeah. somehow. Steve misses so bad. So yeah, they throw the ball a lot in the Big Twelve, and you definitely need a powerful arm for the NFL. So that might under that might be part of the reason why you know we're seeing these Big Twelve quarterbacks, you know, doing pretty well relatively um, in the uh, in the NFL. Yeah. And his head coach back in Texas Tech, Cliff Kingsbury. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cliff Kingsbury there too. And I think just I guess like a lot of these, like Alabama or Ohio State too, they also have very strong offensive line rushing games. And so many times forget, especially as the football in general has moved to more, you know, air raid passing, very strong passing offenses. There, you know, can't forget the ground game, right? The running backs they have they've had some very strong running backs in. Uh, the past two at those you know top level schools, but that's yeah. not to take away from how good some of these QBs can be. Exactly, you know Alabama definitely. They're, first of all, they're a factory for everything. Honestly, like they literally do everything. But especially in running backs, like they got Mark Ingram, they had Derrick Henry. I know there's another one, Najee Harris, Najee there's Harris, Josh Jacobs. Yeah. yeah, so they they just got a wealth of uh, talent there. Mm-hmm. It's not fair. It's but, not you know, fair at whatever. all. It's hard to well. It's Alabama. What can you say? They've they've been dominating. Nick Saban, he's one of a kind mm-hmm. for sure. Yep. Well, well, you know that is gonna do it for this episode of the show. Um, you know, if you want to listen more about Sports Console, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Twitter at Bay Council to stay up to date on the latest and greatest of our sports takes. And we also have an Instagram now, sports underscore council. Be sure to follow that as well. And follow us on every platform. We love the attention that we get, especially from you guys. And... Is there anything else you want to say, Brian, before we end the show? Any uh, bold predictions you want to get out there? Or, you know, fantasy football takes? USC for Pac-12 champions. Michael Pittman Jr., top wide receiver. Um, No. Well, of course, definitely very much looking forward to the next college football season. Looking at these Trojans also succeed at the next level um, in the NFL. But, yeah, we're looking forward to getting everything kicked off. Kids can't wait for football season to start. You and me both. Well, thank you so much for being on this show, Brian. Yeah. And hopefully we get to see you in the Listener League soon enough. Yeah. Thanks, Matt, for having me on. This was 
great and I'd love to come back sometime and also focus on the fantasy part of it absolutely well signing off thank you bye